Welcome, church. This is the Sunday evening service of March 22nd at the South Edmonton Church of Christ. Uh, the question that I want us to look at this evening is, does God punish with sickness? Now, you've probably heard several people kind of being connected uh, this current virus with God bringing about punishment. So this evening, let's just address that. Let's take a look. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, what we will find is sometimes God does punish with sickness. For instance, in Acts chapter 12, we read this account beginning in verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to spread and flourish. Now, when you look at this passage, I think it is pretty clear that you see that, that the Lord, in this case, through the hand of an angel, the Lord struck him down. So does God punish with, with, uh, uh, with sickness? Yes. I mean, in this case, he even punished with death. Now, there's countless times that we could turn to and, and look in the Old Testament, and we can see, um, you know, you have the ten plagues. You, ha you have other occasions like that, that God continues to, to work, and he, uh, he continues to do things like that. And when we look at here, as well as like the 10 plagues, it's the same type of reason. What, what's the reason? Why is God bringing about this punishment? You know, why does he send an angel to strike him down? What, what's going on here? Well, look again at verse 23. You'll notice that it was because Herod did not give praise to God. That was the reason behind this. And, and that's what God is wanting, because Herod was setting himself up to be God. He was putting himself up on a pedestal one that he had no right to stand on. So the Lord put him in his place and allowed him to realize he is human. However, in verse 24, I've always kind of thought this is weird because you have this like very serious, very intense account where a man is put to death by the hand of the Lord, which we don't see as often in the New Testament, but we do still see God pronouncing judgment like this sometimes. So you see that in verses 21 through 23, and then all of a sudden you get into 24 and it says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You know, at times that kind of seems a little strange because you're like, why is that verse there? However, I think it makes sense for people who are among, you know, like difficult times and maybe like seeing this because, you know, people who were who heard about this with Herod, they want they they were kind of living in a, in a certain time that it was important to know, look, God is still in control. Uh, we don't need to act like we ourselves are God, like what Herod was doing. See, the word of the Lord can still flourish. It can still spread in those types of situations. We've got to understand that. So, does God punishment? Does God bring about punishment with sickness? Sometimes, yes. However, sometimes I believe the answer most certainly is no. Let me give you a few examples here. In John chapter nine. Beginning in verse one, we'll see this uh, occasion where Jesus heals this man. But notice kind of this conversation that happens. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming 
when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sin. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So here we have this, this miracle. And us as a church, we've been going through the seven signs of, of John. I say seven signs. Technically, there's a few more. But anyways, we've been going through the signs of John. This is one of those signs we looked at. However, I believe it kind of brings about a little bit new meaning, uh, given the current situation. Because this man here in John 9, he was born blind from birth. His disciples, just like so many of the Jewish people of their days, they wondered, okay, so who sinned? Because, I mean, if this guy was blind from birth, I mean, somebody had to sin. Was it this guy? Was it his parents? What's going on? In verse 3, Jesus tells them, it wasn't this guy. It wasn't his parents. No, no, no. The reason behind this is so that the works of God might, dis might be displayed in him. We understand how that works out in this verse. However, you know, one thing that I just kind of want you to think about is, what does Jesus really mean by this verse? Does he mean that this man was born blind so that that way Jesus was going to one day come into his midst and be able to heal him and the, the works of God were going to be displayed in him? Possibly. However, can there be another way of looking at that? What if Jesus had not been the one that encountered this man? Could the works of God still have been displayed in, in, through this man's sickness? You know, for example, if Jesus wasn't one that came in contact with this man, but what about his followers later, like the church today even? Is it possible that people uh, in different circumstances like this, um, these things can still happen so that the works of God might still be displayed in them? Think about that. How might that change the way we interact with people who perhaps have been born blind or other type of circumstances comes their way? We don't always need to be people who instantly just pass judgment and say, well, this sickness is because of your sin. Or maybe we might even say that it's because of their family sin or something like that. Or maybe the sin of their country. I believe we need to be a little bit slower on immediately jumping that that's what it has to be. Now, in occasions where God tells us he is the one behind it, okay, I understand that. However, in today's situation, do we have a thus saith the Lord that he is the one that is behind this? I don't know of any. Okay, I, I, I don't see that in the scriptures. But what I do see is sometimes he punishes with things like this. And sometimes that's not the reason. Sometimes there's more of a reason. So perhaps before we just might want to, to immediately jump and say, well, well, God is punishing a certain people, which in this case, it's, it's kind of hard because it's the entire world. So is, is God punishing the entire world? He has done that in times past. Is that what's happening now? Or is there another explanation? I don't pretend to have all the answers. I just want us to think about these things and to see how does God really want us to respond? And also, in addition to that, how can the works of God be displayed through these things? How can the works of God be displayed at this time? What can we, as the body of Christ, do here on earth? To show the works of God. Well, I hope that you all get a little creative in ways of being able to show the works of God. There's more examples. Right, let's, let's continue on and take a look at another one.
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives us a little bit of insight into himself, which by the way, you know, you look at Paul and we, we hold him up very highly. I mean, he was a great man without a doubt. However, he still needed to be humble. And in fact, he talks about that, about being humble here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what does Paul say about it? Well, technically what was said to Paul was that God isn't going to take away this thorn in the flesh. I mean, let's get specific about it here. See, this is not even the same situation uh, that I shared with you before, where it was an angel of the Lord who came. No, no, this is actually specifically stated as a thorn in the flesh. It's also specifically stated as a messenger of Satan. None of those things sound good. None of those things sound like something that, that God would, uh, you know, purposely send and, and all. However, God is still able to use this situation, and he teaches Paul a great lesson. The lesson that Paul needed to learn is that God's grace is sufficient for him. He's going to have to suffer with this thorn in the flesh. He's going to have to deal with this thorn in the flesh. But God's grace is sufficient for him, and God's power is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that an interesting lesson? Perhaps one that is important for us to learn today. So, what about this time? You know, I asked the question, does God punish people through sickness? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. What about this time? What about with this virus? Well, as I said, stated just a while ago, um, I don't have all of those answers. Uh, I don't know that anybody necessarily does at this time. However, what we do have are some general statements that the scriptures make about the different times in which they were in. For example, when you look at Matthew, uh, this his whole gospel, when you look at chapter 3, you find out about John the Baptist. Well, listen to the message of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And if you look at the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 17, we read, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But both of them, their message was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I mean, that's exactly what each of them are proclaiming. John the Baptist first, then we see that Jesus proclaimed it later. Now, they didn't say, you know, repent only if you have some type of sickness in your life and you need to be healed of that. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying here is a general statement that you all need to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near and things were going to be changing in their time and, and things did change in their time. So what about us? What is a message that needs to be proclaimed today? I believe we can still say in the same way that John the Baptist did and that Jesus did to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God, God is, is in our midst. He's doing things uh, here on this earth and he wants uh, things to be done 
uh, here on this earth as they are done in heaven. That's even kind of within the model prayer that Jesus wanted his disciples to to learn about how to pray. That's what he said. That that's how we need it to be. That's how we want it to be. But repentance is a message that is so important. It's not always just when sicknesses arise. No, we always have a need to repent, to change, and to become more and more like God, to become more and more like Christ. Another passage I, I didn't just mention within these two is uh, later on in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 10, you find out that the disciples also have a very similar message. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instruction. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That was the message that Jesus sent his 12 disciples out, his 12 apostles out at that time. This is oftentimes known as the limited commission, you know, in, in contrast to the great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. This is known as a limited commission because it wasn't to everybody. It wasn't to, to all creatures. It wasn't to all the nations. No, this was actually just supposed to be to Israel. It was, it was a more limited thing to prepare Israel first than the Gentiles. So how are they supposed to prepare Israel first? The message was the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this doesn't exactly mention repentance, but I believe whenever you look around it, they're preaching the same message that John the Baptist preached. They're preaching the same message that Jesus preached, and that is repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's in our midst. What are we going to do about that? And I believe that message is still very powerful, very needed today. Let's look at one more passage together. James chapter 5. Notice this. This is more or less kind of a, a general statement about when troubling times and when sicknesses head our way. James 5, verses 13 through 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, what do we see from this passage here? Well, we see the need that what to do whenever we're in trouble, what to do whenever we are sick. And here in this case about this sickness, he does specifically say like what I've underlined here is that if that person in verse 15, if that person has sinned, they will be forgiven. It is interesting, this connection that is made between sicknesses uh, and sin in this case, that there does uh, seem to be this connection. And an application in verse 16 is, you know, therefore, what do we do about this knowledge? Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. What are we doing today? Are we, are we confessing to one another? Are we calling for people to repent? And are we helping one another out? Are we praying for one another at this time? We desperately need it. They all need it. We all need it. We need to be thinking about these other people. And please, Think about how we, as the church, uh, the type of message that we are sending. Are we sending the right message? You know, sometimes I think that, uh, that, that these messages almost kind of come across as if we're just trying to scare people in order to follow the gospel. 
we need to be careful about that because is it a scary thing to not uh, be right with God? Most certainly it is. However, we don't need to scare people in order for them to follow God. What we need to do is to teach them the truth and allow them to love God and follow him with their whole heart because that's what it truly means to be the church. That's what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. Also, this passage here in James, this is a little bit of a a uh, little bit of a, a teaser, if you will, for what we will see on Wednesday evening uh, for our services together there for our Bible class. Uh, we're going to be looking at James chapter 5. So this is just a little bit of what we'll talk about and so much more. Thank you for joining me in this video, and I look forward to uh, seeing you again on Wednesday evening.